Well, as we are you know, celebrating just, just now, singing and, and being overwhelmed by the power of Jesus, the, the power of Christ in the resurrection that, that raises Jesus you know, from the dead, well, this, this journey, this, this series that we're on is, is at, continue to ask that question about how does that get demonstrated in our lives? How is this regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, the fact that, that there is no rival to Jesus, that there is no rival to Jesus in our lives, you know, there is no rival to, to Jesus uh, in the, the, the work that He is doing in you and me. What, what does that look like? What does the power of the resurrection look like, particularly today, at work? Or at school? How how does the the power of the resurrection look there? It makes makes sense that that God's Spirit, the the power of Pentecost, the, 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 the Lordship of Jesus, that He has no rival, would also apply at school and work. Because we spend a lot of time there. I mean, if, if nothing more, uh, even if you just sort of go with the, the typical 40-hour um, uh, a week, that's a lot of time that we spend at work or somehow creating or, or doing what, what God has called and led us to do. It makes sense that we live out the power of the resurrection there. And I, and I include school because school is training and preparing for the work that God has for each of us. Yeah, and, and it's um, often we can undervalue work, you know, sort of a necessary evil, or we can overvalue it, that it becomes an idol, it becomes our God. And, um, but we don't want to undervalue it because God works. God, you look at the beginning of, of creation, you look at the beginning of the Bible, you know, the story of Genesis, and we're, we're told for six days God worked because on the seventh day He rested. So He must have been working the other six. So it's, it's divine. It's part of God's very character to create, um, to work. And, and we're told as you read throughout Genesis 1 and 2 with Adam and Eve that He has placed Adam and Eve there, created them in His image um, so that they would be fruitful and multiply. They would fill the earth and they would subdue it. They would, they would work. In chapter 2 even says, Now you're in the garden, so I want you to keep the garden until the garden this is part of the created order. It's part of what God had created for them. So, so working is a good thing that God has us to do. Now, what has happened, while we often can devalue work, is because it right after He gives them, oh, I want you to keep until the garden, then is the disobedience of Adam and Eve, the, the, what we call the fall. And then as God brings the consequences of the fall where they disobeyed God, it's then a a curse that God gives. Here are the consequences of what you have done, how you've disobeyed me. Now work will be toilsome. There there will be work that you will do that will be futile. That will not result in the fruit that you are hoping for. And it's here. It's here for all you gardeners in the midst. It's here we can blame Adam and Eve for weeds. 
for clover, dandelion, inappropriately being in our yards. Or it's here where every time I go out to my garden and vegetable garden um, and I see the futility of my efforts because some critter, possum, raccoon, deer, squirrel, rabbit, I don't know what, has eaten my tomatoes or my broccoli and it's gone. That's futility. But that, that's because of the curse that we have, that wasted labor. And then in Isaiah 65, he gives us a great picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And he says a new heaven and a new earth will come. And when that day comes, there will be no longer futility in our work. The toil will be gone. We will work. We will plant a vineyard and we will get to enjoy its fruit. Our labor will no longer be in vain. So, so work is before the fall and work is throughout God's creation and work is even in heaven that we will be working. So it is of great value and significance and something where the power of the resurrection is to be alive. We are to be re- made new, regenerating in the workplace and in the classroom. So our passage today will address that um, particularly. It'll address it from the first century perspective, and so we'll we'll talk about that as we get into it. But hear hear the Word of God in Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 22. Um, We'll be on page 958 in uh, Pew Bibles. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank You for Your written Word. Now speak to us. Um, and the power of your spirit within us, Lord, show us how it applies in each of our lives. Uh, show us where those of us that, that devalue work need to uh, give it the value that it has. Those that overvalue it uh, need to put you in that appropriate place as our Lord and Master. Uh, so um, lead and guide us and direct us, Lord, to hear from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, 3.22 Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourself into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you, have, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, now, now, the first thing that probably catches your attention is the word slaves. Well, what, what does that mean? And why do you make the jump from slaves to employment or school today? Well, um, one key thing to recognize is that in the first century, in, in Rome and in Jesus' first century, it was a very different um, uh, uh, way of slaves, what we would call slaves, than what we're used to in our American history situation. In our American history situation, slavery is an evil from the pit of hell that is race-based, where you own people and actually you dehumanize people in order to bring a race-based form of slavery. Um, And that is something that is to be um, opposed at every front. 
What we have in the first century is something, and you'll see in other translations where folks are called bond servants um, at times or, or servants. And, and what was in the, the culture of the day was households would have servants of all types in their homes. It, would, it was a variety of uh, actually uh, work that they would do. Um, it's estimated that in Rome uh, at the time, 85%, maybe even 90% of folks in Rome would have been characterized by the word slave in the first century. And they would have been in households um, usually. And again, the variety of, of work there. I mean, not only did you have folks that worked in the house or on the farm, but you had doctors, you had nurses, you had teachers who were part of the, the household slaves. Um, uh, who, and, and often they would even be paid for their work. And if, eventually within um, seven to ten years, then all that you would have been released. Um, uh, everybody, by, at least by the age of 30. So it was a very, very different kind, sort of in-between kind of, of stage. Um, now, uh, I don't mean to glorify that stage at all. Um, uh, it wasn't like just employ. There was, there was no occupational safety and hazard association. You know, there was no equal opportunity employer. There were no unions or minimum, no protections, largely, for folks that served in that day. But it was a, a different economic system. Um, than, than ours, and maybe what we're used to considering in our situation of, uh, in America, uh, chattel slavery. Um, so it was a, a far cry, though, from the freedom of employment and the great movement that we continue to make towards equality um, for all. Um, but what it does say as we take what Paul says and we think about with our own bosses um, in our own places of employment or as, as um, students in, in, in schools and stuff, what it does say, you know, it, the people that Paul was talking to, they had a very different situation than we did. Um, their, their, their bosses would have, could have been much more harsh and direct than the bosses that we face or the teachers that, that we face. And so we are called to the same thing that Paul was calling the church to then, to obey our masters, whatever that situations might be. And why? He says, because Jesus is your master. You're serving Christ in the work that you do. And I, I love how he, how he says it in here where he, he says in verse 22, you know, he says, don't, don't just obey them when they're watching. You know, don't we all do that? You know, we all know we've been in situations where we're sort of doing our own thing and the boss or the teacher come in the room and, you know, then we're back straight up to inattention again. I, I, as a pastor, I come a couple of conversations that when I entered into the conversation, it was silent the minute I showed up. Yeah, and, and what Paul is saying, no, you're, this isn't something that you're just, you're working when your boss is seeing you because you're not just serving for their eyes. This is not one where you're there to please the people around you. Now, Paul even makes a, a word up here. He says, eye servants. Where he says, don't, not only while you're being watched, don't be an eye servant. Don't be a people pleaser. 
Instead, he says, wholeheartedly, and then put yourself into it, because with your soul, with your heart, you are servants of Jesus in all that you do. You're working for the Lord. Whether you're sweeping streets, you're planning streets, you're constructing streets, you're driving on streets, you're painting them, doesn't matter. You're doing that for the Lord. You're not an eye servant nor a people pleaser. You're a heart and soul servant of Jesus. Whether you're learning algebra or biology or you're teaching it or you're working it in the lab, you're serving with your heart and soul Jesus. The boardroom, the construction site, the classroom, or the office. Yeah, that sort of puts a whole different perspective on school, puts a whole different perspective on work when we recognize our, our ultimate boss, our master, is the Lord. He's the one that we serve. Now, the passage that we've been looking at regularly as our theme passage throughout this series through Colossians 3 is Colossians 3.17. And again, that is the summary really of all of this as he's applying it specifically now in the workplace. So I want us just to say this again, Colossians 3.17. Let's say this again together. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, um, I asked Mitch Teamley if he would share with us uh, um, a little bit um, about how he seeks to serve the Lord in heart and soul and what he does. Now, um, some of you uh, have met Mitch. He was on staff here for uh, several years, and now he's a, he's a storyteller, um, he, he's a teacher, and, and now he is... Um, uh, uh, putting the, together films and been doing that. And one of his most recent films just coming out. And um, I said, you know, Mitch, why don't you come and, and share with us how you, you know, in the, the film world and being a teacher and a writer, how do you in soul, heart and soul, serve Jesus in that, that context? So, Mitch. Thanks. Thank you, Drew. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew is probably as good an example of anybody I know, somebody who's, who's like following God's agenda 24-7. And uh, so I, I don't know that I'm needed up here. It's kind of redundant, the living example right here in front of you. But uh, when we first moved here, um, some of you know this, uh, maybe a lot of you don't. We moved here from California in 2005. Um, and um, speaking for me personally, I was in a period of time at that moment where I, I kind of lost focus a little bit. wasn't exactly sure how all the different compartmentalized things I did and, and parts of my life were supposed to come together. And it was really during my time on staff here, I began to get a sense that, first of all, there's no distinction between personal me and work me. And, and public me, they're, they're, they're all the same. And uh, I, I realize that, that whenever I'm doing all the time, essentially I'm, I'm a communicator 
And and for me, it is, I, I'm just kind of a dyed-in-the-wool storyteller. I, I'll run into you in the atrium out there, and, and within seconds I'll be launching into some kind of a story. It's just what I do. Sometimes you just need to tell me to stop, and there, <laughs> there isn't time for it, and other times there is. But but that's that's the unifying factor, but it's true 24-7. And it, it uh, you know, somewhere along the line, just began to realize I'm always always in his service. I start my days almost always now with uh, a verse uh, from uh, 1 Chronicles 31, 20, and 21. It's about King Hezekiah, who was certainly one of the godliest, maybe in some ways the godliest king Israel ever had. And, and sort of Hezekiah's principle that he lived by, it says, is that in everything he undertook, he sought his God. And he worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. And it doesn't mean he got the things he wants. What it means is he found out what God's plan was, what God's agenda was, and he worked wholeheartedly towards that. And so, of course, it, it worked out because it was him and God together, and that's a formula that doesn't fail ever, ever. You know. And, and so uh, what I do now, uh, what I've done since uh, going off staff here, uh, in part involves making films. And it's all part of that storytelling thing of speaking truth into people's lives, including my own. The film, uh, the feature film that we've made uh, that has its world premiere at uh, Memorial Hall uh, on Tuesday the 13th, which I would encourage you uh, to come to if you can possibly make it, uh, is an extension of that. Uh, And so um, when Drew first said, uh, why don't you come up and say a few words, I thought it would just be about the film, and hey, why don't you all come to the world premiere of the film, but naturally Drew is not going to leave it at that. It's like, no, 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 make it a message. <laughs> so there is a message here, and really there is one all the time. Let's take a look at the clip, and then I'll just close with a few words. right out there. Mm. Gone now. They paved over it. So, no more water. Mm. Now, we brew coffee. The best in Cincinnati. Notice how it says Hebrews? Or, uh, in this case, 
Still, it hurts. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. What now? I told Michael he had to close up tonight because I needed to make more mugs. I lied. We don't need no stinking mugs. And you lied because? Because he wants to move out, Peter. He's going to go look at apartments. I mean, he just graduated for Pete's for your sake. It's the rush. Life? He's 18, Ingrid. You moved out when you were 18. Yeah, and look how I turned out. You turned out great. And so was Michael. He's my favorite nephew. He's your only nephew. Nothing is going to happen to him. He died and made you God. You can't promise that. Look, I got Vesper's uh, coffee tomorrow. You're my well, Peter. Yeah, well, the well has to refill sometimes. When did you become so cautious, Ing? I mean, you used to adopt everything that came through the door, and now it's just Michael and your cubs. What about the rest of the world? Have you seen the rest of the world lately? Opening uh, sequence of film, obviously the title credits are there, so it's pretty easy to tell it's the opening. Um, and I think it's those who know me, it's a pretty good example of, of everything, everything being all tied together because uh, personal life is completely in there. When we first moved here to the area here, uh, right away we discovered College Hill up, College Hill Coffee up the road. How many of you noticed College Hill Coffee was the setting for the? the opening sequence, but and there's just elements of, of that in the story. Uh, the leading lady, the main character in the story, Ingrid, and the one woman who runs the coffee house, has lost track at the start of the story. She's lost folk. She's lost track of why she and her husband, she's widowed, why they started this place. Uh, and it's right there in their motto on their on the menus, Hebrews uh, uh, 13:2. Uh, you know, be careful to entertain strangers because they may be angels. And disguise. At any point, God is working through you in the lives of others, and as God is working in their life, in yours too. We're, there's no distinction between the private and the public life, between the personal and the work life. And, and that's woven into this story. She's a very different woman. Uh, it takes a tragic turn. There is a death caused by a, a drug addicted driver, and it changes her life. Forever, at first, horribly, irredeemably, there will never be happiness again, as far as she can tell. But there's hope, 
and, and, and the motto of the, the tagline of the film, how do you forgive the unforgivable, is, is really what the film is about. But that's all just all one with uh, what I've learned, been growing, and, and her brother, the, the priest, I've never been and don't plan to become a Catholic priest, but her brother is so me. There's <laughs> so much of me. And, and this, this, you know, it's just all one and the same. And just one little final thing. Um, you know, naturally, I see my work life, my screenwriting, my directing, whatever it is I do, my blog posts. I see those as an extension of what God's showing me and doing in my life and, and all that. But there are those moments when you, you think that's not part of it. Um, a few days ago, I was delivering personal invitations to the premiere, uh, to the, the world premiere, to uh, some kind of movers and shakers in Cincinnati, people uh, in the arts and civic leaders and uh, and I was taking the invitation to a woman who has the ability to access huge amounts of funding, possibly for our next film. And my agenda was, this is someone I want on our side, and let's make sure she's at the opening and hopefully loves the film and says, yes, let's talk about funding your next film. But she had something on her mind, on her heart. She sat down and talked almost to an, for an hour with me, and God was saying, this is my schedule, Remember? This is not about what you came here planning. And she, she needed to be listened to. And it was great. It was a wonderful moment, but it wasn't one I saw coming. It was all part of God's agenda. And everything he undertook, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly towards that. And so they prospered. Amen? Amen. I, I hope and pray that uh, at least some of you will be able to make it to the world premiere. It's on Tuesday, June 13th at Memorial Hall downtown. Uh, it's a beautiful classic jewel box theater. And on top of that, they've updated with this state-of-the-art modern screen there as well. So i uh, love to see you there. But even if you can't, uh, God bless you. And 24-7, remember who you work for. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> You know, the other, the last part of the, the passage that gives, again, the value of work um, to the eyes of, uh, of Jesus um, bring how there is, uh, brings judgment on the scene. Um, if you, you noticed um, the, the last couple uh, verses there, since you know, verse 24, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward, you serve the Lord Christ, and there is a sense of, of, of your, the work that you're doing, whether it's in making films or being films or making the film or uh, what, whatever you're, you're doing, streeping the sweets, sweeping the streets or making them, whatever it is um, that you're doing, it, it is unto the Lord. And there is a sense that the Lord says, good job, well done my faithful servant, in the, the work of your hands, what you are creating, what you are doing, what God is doing in and through you. And then on the flip side, for, in verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done. And there is no partiality. And then he says, so masters, just like slaves, know who your master is. Because there is a sense of reward and judgment for what we do. Now, we're still saved through Jesus Christ. But there is a sense at the end when we look back and there is a sense of like, did we 
do we use that time and that energy and that work unto the Lord? And that's exactly what he says here. It gives you such significance to the value of that work and that we're serving him. Because there will be times in the classroom or in the workplace, in the boardroom, that your, that your authority will be requiring you to do something that you believe is against what Jesus would tell you to do. Because there's, there's a whole lot of, of bosses out there. You know, the bottom line, the stock, stock profits, the getting the uh, approval of, of those who can give you raises. There's all kinds of, res- of, of uh, things that we can make our bosses, become our idols. And Jesus said, no, I'm the idol. I, I am your God, no other. And so there will be times when you'll have to stand up in the name of justice, in the name of righteousness. Paul Borthwick uh, spoke at our denominational gathering in January, and Paul does a lot of stuff in global missions. And so here's one example of that, as he tells the, as Paul tells the story, that he was um, in, had some friends in Sri Lanka. And he was talking with them because there's a lot of garments, a lot of clothing that are uh, sold in, in America that were made in Sri Lanka. And, you know, there's a whole lot of questions, you know, what are the conditions, the working conditions there? And are they sweatshops and things? Are they using people? Um, and, and so people in the United States say, do we, do we need to, you know, um, you know, boycott certain manufacturers of clothing. And so Paul went to the folks in Sri Lanka that he knew and said, you know, what do you think? Should we do that? Should we boycott them? And, and Paul said that his, uh, his friend said, no, I don't want you to boycott. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the people, especially your business people, to become executives in multinational corporations. And then make the factories run justly. You know, in their positions of leadership, let them bring Christian influence, compassion, and mercy into that environment. And so Paul shares that story regularly. And just so I have one time in a church in New York, he shared it. And a gentleman came up to him afterwards who was a buyer for a major um, clothing rep in the United States. And he telling the story, they, they actually bought their jeans, their blue jeans from Madagascar. And he was in charge of that. And they would buy the jeans for a dollar and then sell them uh, in Fifth Avenue for $400. And so he, you know, he sat with that and, and, and he prayed and he asked God to lead him. And so he, he got together with his team, got together then with the factory in Madagascar and said, how much would it cost if you made these jeans... Um, and, and, uh, but you also paid and you, you supported all of your workers so that you could pay for the school fees for all their children. You, you'd give them you know, adequate housing. You'd give them you know, health care. You'd improve their sanitation and give them reasonable hours. Yeah, and the, the buyer um, said, uh, um, got, or they got the message back then from their liaison saying, you know, we're very sorry, but if we did all of that, it would quadruple the price of the jeans from $1 to $4. And the buyer decided that they could do that, that they could make a smaller profit on their jeans in order to provide for their workers in Madagascar. 
that's a, a great situation of one who is following Jesus in the workplace and saying, you know, maybe we need to go against the grain in a simple way and minimize, not, not maximize the, the profit in terms of what goes into our pockets, but maximize the profit in terms of all who are involved. Now, again, men, there are stories you know, like that all the time. And sometimes the answer is no and people won't do it. Sometimes you're in the position where it might cost you your job. And if that were the case, I would pray that and organize that we as a church would surround people who in the boardroom stand up and say, no, we, we can't do this. This is wrong. And that we would then provide what is needed for the, the basic needs of their, that family. And you can flip it to the positive side as well. Um, you, you, you can, and maybe you all know folks in, in different positions where they are living out the way of Jesus in what they're doing. This is a great story of a bus driver in uh, uh, San Francisco. And uh, uh, she, it's, it's, it's in a, a John Ortberg book. Oh, this is all that you get. And uh, uh, she just tells the story of every morning getting up um, 30 minutes early, which for her, because her bus ride was an early morning ride, was 2.30 a.m., and she would pray for that 30 minutes. And she said she always had stuff she needed to pray for, and this is, her name was Linda. And Linda was working the bus, but she would do things like when people would get in the, the, the bus and they had a lot of uh, groceries, she would uh, stop the, the bus, she'd get up and go help them bring their, their groceries in. And she did that with one 80-year-old woman, Miss Ivy. And now Miss Ivy will only ride her bus. She'll let buses go by at the bus stop until Linda is driving the, the bus. Um, uh, Linda will tell folks as they're leaving you know, to have a nice day and I love you. When's the last time you heard anybody, in, I don't know, even an Uber driver, say have a nice day, I love you. But that becomes uh, Linda's way. To where now Linda has, and she, and she makes it a point of knowing the names of the people that are on her bus. She's developed a community on bus 47 in San Francisco because she's working for Jesus and what um, she's doing. And, and now even folks that get on her bus, you know, that uh, um, uh, there's folks that have different vacation homes and stuff, and they're like, hey, Linda, my vacation home is open next weekend, so why don't you take it? Uh, and one, one gal actually was a, a gal that uh, was, um, was around just at the middle end of Thanksgiving, and she was obvious this girl was going on the bus. She, didn't, she was lost. She didn't know. She's fumbling her change, doing all the rest. And, and, and Miss Linda said, you know, it's Thanksgiving next week. Honey, why don't you come? and just hang out with me and the kids and invited her to Thanksgiving dinner the, the next week. You know, that kind of spirit of Jesus that is alive, whether we're selling jeans to the world or rather we're just bussing people across the city is what Paul is calling us to in regenerating our workplace. Amen.